is Robin, and welcome to Conversations About a Brighter Way. And I'm Adam Grant, the Executive Director of A Brighter Way. And we will be your hosts for this season, which is entitled Welcome Home. We'll be talking with people about their experiences re-entering society post-incarceration. What does that feel like? Honestly, that first four days, it was... uh... It was almost as bad as being in a prison. What challenges did they face upon release? In 30 interviews and every one of them offered me a job and every one of them rescinded it once they ran it up the flagpole, despite the fact that I had been honest and forthright. And what resources they found to help them navigate their path towards a brighter way? Family and friends. Those were the most valuable resources, knowing that, like he said, I'm not doing this alone. Speaking of a brighter way, if you're listening to this podcast, you're noticing that this is not a canned response. Every time you get a little bit of background on what a brighter way is, it's coming off the cuff and it's coming off the heart because that's the way that we work. Our saying is, and the way that we live at a brighter way is reentry through relationship. And ultimately, the, the main way that that manifests itself is, is through our mentoring program, which is a side-by-side program where especially people who've been formerly incarcerated help other people who've been recently released to navigate some of the pitfalls that are involved with release from incarceration. But it also is this. It's these kind of conversations. It is relationships that we have with other agencies. It is people working with people. It's not case management. It's not investing in agencies. It's investing in people and investing in ideas. And so that's what we mean by reentry through relationship. And that's who we are at a bright away. So let's get on to our episode. And this week, we will be speaking to Arthur about their experience. I want to thank you in advance for sharing your story with us. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. May I have your name again, how long you were incarcerated, and how long have you been out? Yes, my name is Arthur Thomas. I was incarcerated for 44 years on a second-degree murder charge. And how long have you been out? I came home February the 23rd of this year. So walk me through getting out. What was that like for you? What time did you get up? What did you eat when you got out? Like that day, tell me about it. That day was a day filled with uh, a lot of anxiety, a lot of anticipation, a tremendous amount of paperwork to sign. I signed so many papers that I don't even know if I'm allowed to get my first check or if it goes to the government. I don't, I was just signing papers, you know, when they finally tell you that you can go. After 44 years, you don't stop to read anything. If they say sign it, you signed it. Not much sleep the night before. I think I could relate it to a, a child Christmas night, <laughs> you know, not being able to sleep, you know, and, uh, Mine was a little bit different for me because I had told absolutely no one, not even my bunkie, knew that I was going home. Wow. You know, it wasn't that I 
it was any uh, manufactured reason. I mean, nothing that, you know, it was just I didn't want people to know that much about what was being done for me because I've seen people brag about going home to other people that was not, and the disrespect would come, you know, people start talking crazy to you, just trying to make you do something or say something to put you in a situation so you will be there with them for the rest of your life. Yeah, it's a little bit of the crabs in a bucket situation that a lot of times people don't tell anybody what's going on when they're getting ready to go to the door because people will start to test you and they'll talk a little crazier to you that they wouldn't have yeah, six yeah. months before. Hmm. And it's a misery loves company sometimes. Depending on the situation, I also had some people that knew that I was getting close to going and they stayed closer to me right. because they were not going to let somebody jack it off for me. Yeah, you have those types that uh, would like to see you do good, that want to see you leave it about it there. But then on the other hand, you have those that they have might have had a, some type of dislike for you for the entire time that you were there, but they wouldn't say anything about it or, or confront you with it. You know, but once they know that you have those papers in your hand and you can't retaliate, you can't you can't even raise your voice, you know, then they become very boisterous. And so I just had made up my mind that I had told the counselors and the officers in the unit that happened to know. I had told them if you need to talk to me about anything this doing with my release. Call me in the office. Don't talk to me about anything at the desk in front of any other prisoner. You know, when when I'm on my way to the control center <laughs> that morning to leave, then I said goodbye to those that I, you know, had a friendship with. And everybody else was just standing there and all like, no, he's not going home. He's going to health service or someplace. <laughs> That's real. I think when I hear your story, it's, it felt like you wanted that little bit of, I wanted to take control of me going home. That's what it sounded like to me. Like you wanted in this crazy world that you were living in, you just wanted that peace to have for yourself. Yeah. And not only did I want to have that peace for myself, but like I said uh, a few seconds ago, I had witnessed some of the craziness, some of the madness that takes place with people that have finally figured out a way to get out of prison. You know, you got some that's in there that that's their world. Mm -hmm. And for a long time, until I made the decision that I needed to find a way to get out of prison, which made me change a lot of my habits a lot of my associates, my attitude, right, uh, my values, my principles, my morals. I had to change all of those, right? And in doing so, those that didn't understand what it was that I was trying to do, they looked at it as I had became soft, mm -hmm. right? I had become a, a, a target, you know, mm -hmm. Because I was never the type of person that would walk away from anything. I accepted any challenge, you know. I was a loner, 
in the sense that I was not a part of any organized gangs or organized religions, right? I didn't have uh, uh, what they call the homeboy syndrome, where you get into something and you got 20 or 30 people running to help you go do it. I was a loner in that anything that was said or did, I was the only one that had to take care of it. So to go from the frame of mind that I was in in the beginning, that survival mode, right, around a bunch of people that I knew didn't have my best interests. So I had to be a lot more aggressive at times, you know, just to show that I didn't I didn't have any fear. I didn't don't bother me. Let me do my time. Because if you do, it's a problem. And I'm gonna deal with it. And to go through the first, say, 25 years in that frame of mind, people see you in a totally different light. They see you as that guy that, okay, we really don't want to bother him. So then when you make a decision that this is not where I want to be, this is not where I want to live the rest of my life, the courts gave me a second-degree life sentence, and with that, it was a strong possibility that I could die in prison. Mm -hmm. And when I saw people around me that had been in there with me for years in different facilities, and they were constantly dying from cancer, uh, liver disease, uh, drug overdoses, you know, cancer, I didn't want to be one of those guys. It had got to the place where it's a newspaper. I'm not quite sure if you're familiar with it, but maybe some of the listeners are. It's called the My Cure newspaper, newsletter. And it it used to come out monthly. Then it started uh, every three months or something like that. And they would always on the back page put the people who were members of the, the My Cure family who had died in prison. And sometimes you would open it up and you would see six or seven people that you had served time with. Mm -hmm. They had passed in the prison. And it got to the point that I knew if I didn't find a way to get out of prison, if I didn't change who I was, so I wasn't the same person that went in, that my name would be on the back page of that mic you and I didn't want that. So I started making a, wow, I didn't realize that this would be that emotional. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I didn't, uh, I, I didn't want to continue to be a convict, a prisoner, whatever, a client, whatever name the Department of Correction decided to give us, I didn't want to be that anymore. So I started self-programming because, you know, they the MDOC claimed that they had all these different programs for rehabilitation set up and they make the public think that it is so many things that they try to do to help us get out. And in actuality, they don't want us to get out. They would much rather we stay there because we're job security, you know, not only for their generation, but for their kids to get a job. And so you have to put it in your mind 
that it's time to make changes. So you have to create ways to get off in the programs. You have to self-rehabilitate. Uh, and once I made that decision to change who I was and to change my attitude, right, I, I became a totally different person, right? And even the staff could see it that I wasn't the same person. Other prisoners saw it, right? And I had became so passive to avoid problems that it almost became a detriment, you know, because you had some of the young gang members that would come in, some of the young guys, and uh, they would be sitting out on the prison yard thinking about who they could go and take something from, go take advantage of, go take their TV, go take their store. You know, if they got a nice winter coat, go take their coat, right? And because I had been such a threat, such a terror, such a butthole <laughs> to clean it up nicely, when I decided that I was going to change and try to find a way to get out of prison, a lot of the young gangbangers that would sit out on the yard trying to decide who they was going to go and one of the older guys and go attack or go take their stuff. When my name would come up, you know, other people that had been in the system with me for years would pull them to the side and say, no, 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 I don't think I don't think you want to go up there. Let me provide a little bit of context to this, because I don't want anybody to take this out of context either, because I don't want anybody to give credit to his realization as purely being enough time had passed. Enough time passed with a life sentence. Those are two different things. If he had numbers or something like that that he was shooting for, I think that this realization could have came sooner because this was always a part of who he was. It just wasn't the part that was being fed in the beginning of your bit. In the beginning of your bit, you got to make a name because you've been told A plus B equals C and you don't get to question this. If you don't, if somebody does this and you don't do this, then this is what's going to happen for the rest of your time. Yeah. So then you over respond to these things so that you don't have to refresh it so often and you punctuate it, you know, with violence in a way that people do that years later. Yeah. When yeah. you've learned your lesson, people will say, eh, there's easier nuts to crack. Why yeah. don't you go somewhere else? Right, right. You know, and do that. That might have some consequences that yeah. you didn't. And that's what it is. And so, like, even when I did a, an ethics class and we were thinking about the three aspects of right relationship, one of the things that we were thinking about was respect. But respect was such a bastardized word in prison that we couldn't use it because nobody would understand what it is. Because right. prison respect is fear. Yeah. Will there be consequences yeah. for these actions? So we actually chose reverence. And we use reverence as being being able to see that there's something greater than somebody else. And so when he started to have reverence for himself, he started to understand that there was something greater. He had hope, but there was no guarantee. There was no guarantee because he was being told life means life. Yeah. You know, that's that's what it was in Michigan. So the, the reason why I bring that context, and I believe that's my job sometimes here, is 
because this could be taken the wrong way. For people who haven't experienced this stuff, they could be like, well, see, that's why Arthur had to do 44 years. Right. It's so that he had enough time to figure it out after 25. It took him 25 to figure it out. It took him 25 to figure it out with a life sentence. There's a difference. A total difference. I had a 27 to 50 and two for the gun. And I knew I had an out date coming. And so I started to figure that out after about 10, you know, because I was like, okay, this isn't going to be my life. Once I figured out I wasn't going to die in here, I had a good opportunity. That's not with life. You don't have that guarantee. That's an important thing. And I think it's also why it's funny because we haven't talked about my T-shirt. She keeps making me do a T-shirt, a wardrobe change in between. We're not even on video, but I'm wearing a different T-shirt for every time that we do this. But so it just so happens that the one that I'm wearing today is one for like second look legislation. And it's because of the fact that we need to be able to look at people again. I'm wearing one that you actually fill in yourself. And it's my friend Troy Chapman second degree he didn't get life he got 60 to 90 though and they take that seriously too and he's got 38 years in now 38 years for a bar fight when he was 20 the world needs to understand that second look legislation is not necessarily about a second chance because some of us had second third fourth chances i had plenty of chances i needed them i needed every single one of them <laughs> second look legislation is about the fact that if you sentence somebody to this long sentence, you need to look at them again to see if they're the same person. Arthur wasn't the same person at 45 that he was at 25. He wasn't the same person at 65 that he was when he was 25. But they didn't let him out till he was 69. Why you throw me under the bus? I was trying to go as 50-something. <laughs> yeah. we, we believe in honesty in a brighter way, too. Okay. All right. You look like you're 50. Thank you very much. You're welcome. I, uh, I appreciate you uh, putting some context to that because it did come off as though it took me 25 years to finally wake up and figured out that it was time to make some changes. That wasn't the case. And I appreciate the fact that you brought that to the attention because it did not take me 25 years to figure out that it was time for me to try to find a way out of prison. It took me 25 years to establish myself to the point that other influences, other gangs, other groups, other religious organizations come off or pass themselves off in the prison system as religions, right? They finally came to the realization that, okay, we can find an easier target than this one. And when they figured it out, they started to back up. Then I didn't have to be as aggressive. I didn't have to prove myself every day. You know, a lot of people think that... uh Prison life is one way or whatever way they decide to look at it. But the realization is if you are not a part of a group, if you are not a part of an organization, if you are an individual, every day, and this is a terrible way to have to live, but that's prison. Every day at 6 o'clock in the morning when that door opens, when they break the doors for you to go to child or whatever, go to eat. When you step out of that cell, 
You don't know if today is your day to die or today is your day to have to kill somebody. And I know that sounds extremely morbid, but those are the realizations because you never know what is going to happen. I mean, it's not any different out here on the street. You never know. No, it is. It is different. Well, yeah. You don't know necessarily if it might be your day, your number might get called, but the way your number might get called is different. You ain't going to get hit by a car. Yeah. In there. And you're not going to hit anybody else with your car. No. It's a different, it's a, it, it is different. And sometimes it's not even when you leave the cell. Everybody at MR used to think that I slept with one eye open. Because when they'd go to breakfast in the morning, the right eye would be open, watching everybody go. And when they come back, the left eye would be open, watching everybody come back. You had to. Because you had to. The cell is that small. Yeah. You know, there ain't no, you ain't even got to come out of the cell. Yeah. So that is a reality. So, and the reason I kind of butted in again is because again, context. I don't want people to. I don't want people to think that these things are moral equivalent, moral equivalencies, yeah. because yeah. they're not. Because when you put a person into that situation again, I want to put this into context. Everybody we've talked to, and everybody we will talk to, other than Arthur, was doing numbers. Numbers change the equation when you're doing letters. The way you approach everything changes because you think this may be the rest of your life if this is where i'm going to live people are going to know there are consequences anybody who's ever watched the movie life there are consequences and repercussions to this cornbread yeah yeah you know that's it's funny we all sit there and laugh because it's it's funny but it's real but i want to do this i want to do this with you because i don't want to take you too far down that rabbit hole. I don't right, want to right. take you too far back into that because I can see, I want to take you to your first week out. <laughs> so give me that first week out. Give me some of the highlights, some of the low lights, some of the things that still stick in your mind. When I was brought home and I, I, I was delivered in a prison van, I was fortunate that I didn't have to take a bus from uh, the Howlinger Correctional Facility. And it was because of the covert virus that uh, they didn't want people taking the bus if they didn't have to. So they uh, had the prison van take me to the place that I would be living. And there was nobody there, right? We had to sit in the prison van until my parole officer and the people from Catholic Social Services showed up to open the door to let me in. And they came in, and I was so happy to be out. I, you know, I'm just anticipating uh, uh, a warm welcome and how you doing and glad to see you home. And the first day I got there, I was dropped off at an empty spot, (laughs) and they left. And this was on a Thursday. So that Thursday, that Friday, that Saturday, and that Sunday, I saw absolutely no one. (laughs) Mm. I was just there, right? And the place was... Uh, dirty. It was messy. So I had my little debit card. I went to the dollar store and bought uh, cleaning supplies and went back. And I spent the whole weekend straightening it up. But 
I had absolutely no music, nothing to look at, nothing to do, didn't know anybody, and no phone, couldn't call, couldn't, you know. And honestly, that first four days, it was uh, it was almost as bad as being in a prison, you know. In some ways, that's what it sounds like is riding yes. into the next facility. <laughs> yeah. You rode in and you didn't have a bunkie and you hadn't got your property yet. Yeah. yeah, and that's exactly what it felt like. Yeah. And after after that, I uh, I got a bus pass. And I was able to take the bus. And I didn't know where I was going, but I just wanted to ride the bus. I just wanted to go someplace, right? And... I took the bus downtown Ypsilanti, and one of the men at uh, one of the other agencies who I had been corresponding with before I left prison, he told me, he said, well, Arthur, when you get out, I, I want you to do something. I want you to go down to a brighter way and tell Adam, who's taken over, that you're a friend of mine and that I told you to come down there. And I didn't know what to anticipate when I walked in up right away because it was uh it was a small organization. Uh the people in it were extremely friendly but scary at the same time because Jeannie was there and it was another lady there. I can't remember her name. Colleen. Yes, Colleen. <laughs> And uh, and a guy named Adam that had a, some pants on with 50 pockets on it like he was a transportation officer. Got him on the day, too. <laughs> not the same pants. Yeah, not, hopefully not the same ones. Similar. Just as many pockets. But that was my hello. That was my welcome home. And how many days were you out before you got your welcome home? It was about five or six days. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, seven days? No, it was six days. Yeah. It was day six because I remember because I remember being heartbroken by the fact that it took six days for him to get welcome home. Um, And I also took him out to breakfast. Yeah. You know, <laughs> what do you eat? I want to know what you. Yeah, ate. she looks she 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 she's a foodie, man. She likes to know what she likes to know what people eat. So, you know, it's it's, it's funny because. I don't remember. Uh-huh. I, 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 I was scared to order anything. I didn't know how to order food. And whatever Adam ate, I ate. <laughs> Do you remember what you got? I remember it was breakfast food because I love breakfast. And it's kind of funny because he's mentioning that because that is a thing. I still do it with my wife. Some choices, you get overwhelmed by how many choices yeah. you have. Yeah. And you don't know exactly what to do with it. And all of the choices are good. Yeah. So if somebody's got eggs and bacon and toast, and I'll take that. I'm, I'll follow that train. Uh, yeah, we had the train going in the background. But Q does, does the same thing. And I think it's because we've got so many choices to make already that that's one that isn't that important. And and I know we went to I don't remember which one, but we went to one of the Coney Islands here yeah, yeah. in town, and and our waitress hooked us up, and so I gave her a good tip, and you know we had uh, we had an excellent conversation and excellent food, 
And that was that was kind of the point is, is again, to be just kind of welcomed home because I could imagine what he was going through in that situation. You come home to you come. You, you, everybody doesn't come home. That's the other thing, too, is, is even with the name of this season, it's not always welcome home. It's you're out. Welcome to freedom. Right. It's welcome to freedom, but it's not necessarily home yet. Arthur's still in the process of making home and finding home. I hope that a brighter way is a part of his home. Oh, it definitely is. But that's that's the thing that we take for granted. I mean, most people who've never been to prison hear somebody gets out and they think, oh, well, he went home. Yeah. He was in there for 44 years. Home that he knew? Was not there. Wasn't there. Yeah. You know, it's funny that when you asked about what did I eat, and I couldn't remember that. But it was one incident that took place that morning when we went to breakfast that I would never forget <laughs> as we were leaving. You remember that, Adam? <laughs> I definitely remember that. Uh-oh, old school, me, old school got a little, still got a little game left, you know. So. <laughs> we had just finished uh, having breakfast, and we were both sitting there talking. And, you know, it looked like we were – lawyers or something, you know, businessmen having a discussion in there for breakfast. And we got ready to, after breakfast, we got ready to leave to go back to Adam's car. And it was uh, three or four women sitting at a, at a table having breakfast. And as me and Adam was walking by the table, Adam was in front of me. And one of the ladies looked up at me and I spoke. I said, good morning, ladies. How you the ladies doing? And they all spoke back. And before I could take another step, one of them looked at the other one and said, ooh, girl, I don't know why are you letting him get away? I think she said something about that's about your speed yeah, to yeah. her, too. So. Yeah. And I didn't think Adam had heard it, right? And I, I turned around and, and, and looked at him and smiled. And I wasn't about to lose my ride, so I'm trying to catch up with Adam. And I didn't think he heard it. When we got outside to the parking lot, Adam turned around and looked at me. <laughs> what did you say? <laughs> I don't remember, but it did have something to do with some game, yeah. you know. <laughs> but, you know, it was, uh, like I said, it was not a comfortable situation, not even ordering food in a restaurant. You know, you relying on somebody else to even do something that small. And it's because... Like he said, you look at the menu and everything, everything looks new. Mm -hmm. You know, it's wow. It was it was a moment. But I owe Adam a breakfast now and I'm still waiting for him to come get it. <laughs> oh, I'll get it. Um. <laughs> so tell me about finding a job. Oh, that's you know, it's 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 funny because in the beginning, there was only one person that really opened up and was willing to give me employment. And he was he's an ex-convict himself. And he runs an organization called We the People. They grow vegetables, and it's a farm atmosphere where you're planting vegetables, harvesting, and uh, sending them to different uh, charitable organizations and I think they had one restaurant chain that they were selling to Zingerman's. They would sell onions and stuff like that to cover the payrolls. And 
it was a job offer that was something like maybe a month and a half or two months down the road because this was February and you know mm-hmm. it it didn't open it didn't open up to start hiring people to work outside on a farm until the weather changed and I was so anxious to try to find jobs that had applied to several different places, most of which would find one reason after the next not to give you any type of consideration whatsoever. You know, they didn't, they wasn't as blatant enough to come out and say, no, we're not hiring you, you're ex-convict. No, we're not going to hire you, you're too old. You know, it would always be, well, you need to feel this out. You need to feel this out. You need to do this. It was always something more that you needed to do that was never enough, right? And I found one place that was interested in giving me a job, and that was through a brighter way. Jeannie had some connections with Zingerman's Restaurant, and they were willing to give me a job. And when I got ready to apply for it, and I did go out and take a look at it and talk to the people, and I met some of the workers out there, and it was a very nice restaurant, a nice place to work. But Adam pulled me to the side one day at the right away, and he said, maybe you're moving a little too fast. He said, stop and think about, if you take this job now, what are you going to do when uh, when uh, we the people call you? They were the first ones to reach out to you and tell you, we've got you. What are you going to do if you're working for somebody else and we the people come? You're going to tell we the people, never mind, the people that reached out to help you when nobody else would. And... I mean, it was like a light came on. Wow, Adam, out of all the things he said to me, he's finally right about something. <laughs> that came out of one of my many pockets. <laughs> let me let me let me again put some context on that too, because it was not that's the menu again. That's the breakfast menu. Yeah. You the the whole world is opened up to you. I've realized this. I've been home for two and a half years and I still have moments that Recently, I just realized that in prison, I never had more opportunities than I could take advantage of. I could say yes to everything because there wasn't that many and I was capable of it. I can't say yes to everything out here and still be a man of my word. And I knew Arthur well enough to know that that would speak to him because he'd made a commitment. You know, and he was committing to something greater because one of the things about We the People Opportunity Farm is and what Melvin does is they not only give you an, a job, it's an internship. It's a paid internship. And it's not only about learning how to farm and how to tend the soil and, you know, the crops. It's yeah. about tending the people. So you're taking these courses and learning how to budget, learning how to do these things and getting paid for it. You do some stuff at Habitat for Humanity and help other people. And so I knew he was going to benefit from that. But I also knew that you can get caught up and trying to chase everything. And and I didn't want him to do that. I wanted him to slow down a little bit. Because the other thing, too, is, is 
Again, I hate to say I'm throwing them under the bus age-wise, but when you go in in 1978 and somebody's offering you a job for 15 bucks an hour right now, it seems like a really good thing until you have to start paying bills. Right. Absolutely. You know, and that's what happens with a lot of guys, too, is, is, you know, they're so quick and their eyes are bigger than their stomach. And the next thing they're doing is, is they're working 70 hour weeks. And that wasn't what you missed when you were in prison. I work more than 70 hour weeks. I talk, but I'm still figuring out how to balance this thing. So one of the advantages of us doing a mentor program is we learn from each other. Because when I say something to Arthur, I have to think about it. And I'd be like, don't talk about it. Be about it. Yeah. You know, I have to be able to model this or at least say, I recognize I'm not doing so good with this now and I will do better. And then they will hold me accountable, too. You know, it's a it's a mutual thing. This is not a hierarchy. This is not I am, you know, above Arthur. I'm not. We are equals. You know, we're a part of a community. We work with one another. We count on one another. And one of the things, like I said about honesty, we require that honesty from one another. If I'm on some bull as the executive director of A Brighter Way, my community better tell me I'm on some bull. I might not agree with it, just like I don't agree that pants should only have four pockets. <laughs> But they're entitled to be wrong on occasion, too. I'll at least listen. Uh, if you can make a good argument for four pockets, maybe I'll give up a couple. Okay, that's not going to happen. That's right. Levi Strauss knows pockets. And I don't think Levi Strauss has more than four pockets, well, well, which might be the little, little tiny pocket. So my Levi pockets. Strauss days were over when I went past a 32-inch waist. Yes. <laughs> You know, it's uh, it's funny that with all the different organizations that's supposed to be out here to set up to help people coming out of the prison system, you find that when you try to contact them, they're not there. They have either found some way to get around helping and using the money for something else or the trend of, of being uh, involved in that has faded with them. And it's very few organizations. And I, I really don't want to sit here and try to name the ones that are good. I would love to give them a shout out. But in doing so, I would hate to leave out anybody that is trying to help. But I will say this. Some of the ones that I was fortunate to have uh, contact with that has been tremendous amount of help is we was we would definitely get off with a brighter way. They uh, they've been extremely helpful in many ways. I'm talking about even today. If I need something did on the computer on 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 this with my phone. Uh, if I need uh, information about housing or even something as, as minor as opening up a bank account, how to uh, pay car insurance, anything, I know that I can call down there or come down there and get the help and support I need from them. They even gave me my first suit and pair of dress shoes. How did the shoes fit? Uh, a little big, but... 
they were atoms and his feet are a lot bigger than mine. So, and I, but I appreciate I appreciated the shoes though. Right. You know, I just put on a couple of extra pair of socks and everything was good to go. There you go. <laughs> yeah, he made the joke that he said, you didn't know it, but you were shopping for me that day yeah. when you bought this stuff because I grew out of the suits. Well, I've got quite a few clothing items from you and quite a few pair of shoes, at least. Uh, yeah, so. Sharp dressed. Yeah. I just gave Q a pair, too. Q got the Stacy Adams that you didn't get because you got the uh, brown. I can't remember the name of them, but which sharp. Is, which is exactly why I sent a text to. Katie, who was Adam's wife, and told her that the shopping list for clothes was things that I would really appreciate having, you know, some of the sport coats. And, because if she buys them for him, then I know that eventually he's going to eat his way out of them. And I'll. That's, that's one of the reasons why I put so many pockets on my pants, because then I know he's not going to try and claim them. The pants are yours. Yes. But yeah. I want to say something else on that because he brought up my wife and Katie. And that's the the thing, too, is, is this is a community. This is a community. And my wife is a part of this community, too. Lady K. You know, this is she doesn't she she doesn't always think that she contributes, but she does in a lot of ways. I mean, one of her quotes, not one of the quotes that she found for us is actually on the website. There's a lot of ways that she contributes, but it's also because we are a community. There's no, you call me at this time. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I don't answer every phone call. I got, I'm entitled to a life too, but I know you called and I'll always call you back. People know that. Usually I'll call you back within a matter of minutes because I want to make sure everything's okay. But, you know, my wife is a part of it. You know, everybody sitting in this room is a part of it. Jeannie's a part of it. Our board, they're genuinely concerned not for the work we do but for the people we work with, because that's one of the things that we're trying to do in a brighter way. Thank you for listening to Conversations About a Brighter Way. Welcome home. We would like to say thank you to the following. This podcast could not have been possible without Grove Studio providing the space. So Grove Studios is in Ypsilanti, Michigan, provides 24-7 self-service, rehearsal, and creative studios for musicians, hip-hop producers, DJs, podcasters, photo, video, and live streaming production. Creatives from around Southeast Michigan have called Grove home since 2018. For more information and booking, check them out online at grovestudios.space. We'd like to thank Patrick Domingo with podcast creation and editing. The beautiful music you hear in the intro and thank yous was written and performed by Chelsea-based singer, songwriter Annie Caps. If you're looking for a rootsy vibe, a touch of twang, and a soulful groove, look no further. You can find her at AnnieCapps.com. That's A-N-N-I-E-C-A-P-P-S dot com. We'd like to thank our individual donors. Without them, there could not be a brighter way. Therefore, there could not be a conversation about a brighter way. We're very grateful for their constant support and the way they speak to the stigma that exists in the community on a daily basis. We'd like to thank United Way of Washtenaw County and our area community foundation, Nation Outside, and to our volunteers, mentors, and mentees. A Brighter Way is a community, and we could not be a community without all of its participants. So we thank all of you. Thank you very much. Wait. Subscribe and follow us on social media so you don't miss out on a single episode. 
and visit the website at brighterway.org for donation opportunities. We plan to give you more conversations in Season 1, and if you want to reach out to ask questions or send comments, you can email volunteering at abrighterway.org. This is Robin. And this is Adam. Peace out. Peace out.